This episode of Landmine Radio is sponsored by Dittman Research. Do you know what the most valuable thing in the world is? High quality information. Because high quality information informs much better decision making. Dittman Research has been providing high quality information to Alaska's leading businesses, organizations, and campaigns for 50 years. Do you really know what Alaskans think about your company or your issue? How about your clients, your shareholders, or your employees? So stop fumbling around in the dark. Hire Dittman Research and find out what's really going on. DittmanResearch.com Okay, back in studio with uh, my buddy Margaret Stock. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Pretty good. We uh, Last time we did a podcast was a while ago, but they're always fun. And I think this is the first time in the studio before we did it in your office, didn't we? Uh, I think we've done them in a couple different places, but once once it was in my office. That's true. A lot I want to talk about. Obviously, you're the immigration guru. Um, talk about the military, recruiting. But recently, you were uh, featured in one of the Senate subcommittees in person. I was. I was. And I, I watched... Uh, it's funny, I'm, I'm so good at like the Alaska legislature and figuring out how to watch those meetings. I'm not as versed in the Congressional Senate uh, website. So you sent me the link and it was, uh, it was so the subcommittees in Congress, like the subcommittees in the legislature kind of like nobody really cares, but the subcommittees in Congress are kind of a big deal. They are. That's where all the action happens. So this was the Senate Judiciary Committee, but it was the Subcommittee on Immigration, Citizenship and Border Safety. And it was a hearing on Wednesday, June 23rd. People can go watch it if they want because they post the video on the Senate Judiciary Committee's website. All you have to do is I, click on it and you can watch the fun. I'll throw the link in the in the podcast post. People can click on it if they want to watch it. So this is a big, big issue right now, the border, border security. Um, and your specialty with immigration law, um, you've done a lot of work in the military. So we were just talking before the podcast about the Coast Guard right now is offering bonuses for, for people for whole, all kinds of positions because there's a yes. recruiting problem still. This is a first. Well, actually, all the military services are having recruiting issues because of the demographics of the United States, which are changing. And that's an issue that I've written papers about. Now, this is, this is demo, you mean, the age or also the, the, the healthy, the weight? and There's the a whole bunch of issues, fit. but basically a lot of people don't realize it, but only two out of ten Americans of military age can meet military enlistment standards right now. What's military age, 18 to 35? About 18, well, they've actually raised them recently. The Air Force will take people up to 39 now. Wow. Yeah, and that's because they can't get enough people if they limit it to 18 to 26, which is the draft age. How much, how much of it is like criminal problems or record or weight or physical fitness? Or? The big one is health issues. Uh, gross obesity is a huge problem in America among youth age population. So you have to be um, able to weigh a certain amount. And, and oh, you're supposed to be physically fit. And be able to run and do things. You have to be able to run. I could tell you some pretty funny stories about running today. Apparently our schools are not necessarily emphasizing physical fitness. So a lot of people show up for, you know, try to enlist in the military and they're not physically fit enough to run. What's the run? Like a quarter, half mile or a mile usually? Well, the services have different standards, but in the Army up till recently, you'd never be able to run two miles. And they were having very big problems with people who would show up, you know, because they've been sitting on their couch. You know, we joke about couch potatoes, mm-hmm. but, um, and I don't want to blame video games or anything, but. There's less emphasis on physical fitness today than there used to be long ago. And well, then cr- criminal issues are a big problem. People can't pass the test to get into the military. Um, drug use, the military 
doesn't want people, for example, who are habitual marijuana smokers. They'll let you get away with it, a little bit of past use, but they don't want somebody that's regularly partaking of cannabis. Now, that's kind of been changing a lot in the many states. Several states have legalized it, and even on the national level, there's talk of kind of making it, descheduling it. Um, But, you you know, as somebody in the military, you served for a long time, you probably don't want a bunch of stoners or potheads. Well, you you know, there's an issue there. I mean, you know, should we be giving people weapons and sending them into combat if they're stoned? You know, I mean, obviously there's a problem with that. We don't want them on drugs or alcohol, you know, if they're in combat. That's definitely a problem. So anyway, the military will allow a certain amount of past drug use, but you have to swear off it. You know, you can't keep continuing to use it. And, of course, it's a federal, still illegal under federal law. Mm -hmm. So military personnel have to follow federal law. So they're not supposed to be using marijuana. And then there's tattoo issues and gang symbols and extremist groups and all that sort of thing. So, But the bigger problem is just general demographics. Uh, the U.S. population's aging. So we've got a smaller and smaller slice of the population that's actually the age that the military wants to recruit from. And of those people... Less than two out of ten are actually meeting military enlistment standards right now. So the military is having to try to figure out alternative strategies because those folks are in demand by everybody. You know, Google wants to hire them. Facebook wants to hire them. APD wants to hire them. You know, the Mm -hmm. Department of Homeland Security, TSA, you know, they want physically fit, mentally fit high school graduates who are smart and don't have a criminal record can pass all the medical standards and drug tests and everything in the military, and there's just an increasingly smaller and smaller segment of the population that meets all those. And like you were saying, people who have all of those check, box, check marks, they can get a job, you know, probably making a lot of money in the private sector. Or they're going to college, you know. Mm-hmm. They don't want to be in the military. So, so we're, we're not as bad yet as Japan. Japan has a huge demographic problem. Um, but we're, we're approaching that level of not a, lot of not a lot of kids, not a lot of babies, low immigration, right. um, aging population, the boomers. I think we used to be, when Social Security started, there was like 30 workers to every pensioner, and now we're three or four, right? It's, right. It's, so it's, the, the, the problem, we actually would be worse off than we are right now if we didn't have immigration. So immigration has been saving us up until now. And I got to just give you a shout out. The MAVNI, the Military uh, Ascension, wait. Military vi- Ascension is vital, vital to, to the national, national interest. interest. Right. So this is a program you started, which right. even on the Wikipedia credits you as when you were at the Pentagon for putting it together. And it allowed non-immigrants, so people who were here, who were here on like student visas or different kind of visas who weren't green card holders, could join the military. Um, even green, could green card people do this? Well, green card holders have been allowed to join the military. But the problem is it's really hard to get a green card. You know, the mm-hmm. average green card holder is a middle-aged female and probably isn't interested in joining the military. So... The problem, that's part of our demographic problem, okay? So today, about 13.5% of the U.S. population is immigrant, foreign-born, but less than 4% of the military are foreign-born. So the military is not reflecting America anymore. Mm -hmm. And the reason that happened is because the immigrants can't get green cards, and the Pentagon said you have to have a green card, you can't join the military, but you can't get one, so you can't join the military. So you you created this program, if I'm recalling correctly, based on some World War I-era law or something that was on the books that allowed the military to take in non-immigrants and then they joined up. And if they had a special skill or a language or something, they could join up and they could get American citizenship immediately. Well, it's a little more complicated than that, but the high level, the the program started actually when I testified at another Senate hearing, but it was the Senate armed services committee in 2006. 
uh, Senator John McCain actually called me. I was in Alaska, and he asked me if I could fly down to Miami and testify at a Senate Armed Services Committee hearing right after 4th of July in 2006. And the hearing, he had asked to have a hearing on immigrants in the military and how to recruit more of them because Senator McCain was aware that there was a big problem, and he wanted to highlight the issues relating to recruiting immigrants for the military. And so there's a big hearing, and all the heavyweights were there. You know, this was 2006, so it was Lindsey Graham and John Warner and Ted Kennedy and, you know, John McCain, and I was featured at the hearing testifying about how do we recruit more immigrants, and I pointed to the law during my testimony, and I said, there's a law that lets the military recruit any immigrants that they want, but they're not using the law. There's so, World War One era, right? Well, it's actually, the citizenship law dates back to World War One. that let, it lets any immigrant serving in the military during wartime get their citizenship immediately. However, there's a kicker, which is if you don't serve honorably, you can lose your citizenship. So you mm-hmm. have to serve honorably for five years. And this goes back even back to the Revolutionary War. I mean, we, oh, yeah. we would, we would right. always take immigrant Haitians or all these different groups would come. And, and Civil War, I mean, Irish. and Yeah, so the Revolutionary War, it was mostly the German immigrants were serving in the uh, Continental Army, along with, you know, British immigrants and other immigrants. But, you know, Alexander Hamilton is an immigrant, you know. But, yeah, the Caribbean, right? Yeah, but the Continental Army had a lot of German-speaking uh, immigrants from Pennsylvania, you know, especially at Valley Forge. There were piles of them. And then, of course, in the the Great Hunger or the Famine, you know, in the 1800s, a lot of Irish immigrated to America. In fact, there were so many Irish joining the Army that you can read accounts of U.S. Army officers being worried about them thinking they were like a security threat because they were speaking Gaelic and they were drinking. And, you know, this was considered, right. This was considered to be potentially an issue and, but huge numbers of Irish poured into the army. And of course they fought in the civil war and the union army wouldn't have won at Gettysburg without all these Irish immigrants in the ranks. So this program you started MAV in the 08, kind of around 08, right? It started under the Bush administration, but McCain had the hearing and that, that was the impetus. He had me testify at the hearing about how we can recruit more immigrants. And then, that actually started the idea of the program, and then the Bush administration authorized it in 2008 while President Bush was still in office. So we've talked about it before with you, but um, a lot of people joined from, you know, uh, South Korea, Russian, you know, um, parts of Africa with languages and, and different skills. And there was never any budget for marketing, right? But it just kind of organically, people were like, oh, my God, I'm in America. I need to do, I need to join and a lot of a lot of them were big success stories. And in fact, uh, what's the, what was the guy's name? I was watching on the Olympics last week. Paul Chalimo. Paul Chalimo yeah, is right. this runner who's fucking fast. I mean, he's like he's so. I mean, he's so fast. He makes the other guys look not right. fast. And he was a Mavni. Yeah, we got they, a lot. They talk about it. In that the was actually not intentional, but it turned out that we were recruiting people who spoke foreign languages, and it turned out Swahili was on the list of strategic languages. So we ended up with piles of runners by accident because there were a whole pile of Kenyan runners who were going to college in America. They didn't have any way to get a green card, but they figured out that if they joined the army, they could get American citizenship and they could run because the army runs every day. Didn't, didn't one win the Marine Corps marathon or the army? Yeah. One of the first ones we recruited won the Marine Corps marathon. And we were joking that Marine Corps was not participating in Mavni. And we told them you're never going to, there's no Marine going to ever win your marathon again because the Army has the Mavni program and the Army Mavnis are going to keep winning the Marine Corps marathon. So so that was the other thing you were saying before about the running and the issue with running. Now, right. didn't you say one of the Mavnis at one of the 
there was like a two mile, he lapped somebody in a two mile run yeah, or a mile Paul, run. Paul Chalimo. He lapped people in like a mile or two mile run, right? Yeah. Well, people in the army don't run that fast <laughs> sometimes. So you know? No, I mean, he was a really fast runner. So the army has this program called the army world-class athlete program where they take soldiers in the army who are really good at athletics. And there's all kinds of different sports that people do biathlon, but there's also like steeplechase and the 5,000 meter men's and, so these army soldiers were coming in, and not only were they good at speaking Swahili, but they were really good athletes. So the army said, oh, my God, we got some Olympic caliber athletes here. And Paul Chalimo was one of them, but there were dozens of them that came in. you got to give me the Paul Chalimo podcast. Yeah, no. So uh, you know him? Do you, like, talk to him? Or? I message him on Facebook. You know, he knows who I am. But, oh, my gosh. Yeah, but anyway, we got a whole bunch of them, and there's actually three of them at least so far on the U.S. Olympic team this year um, that – they're Mavenies. Well, so why, why do you think, I mean, people in the military, and I think some people are aware of the program, but I think in the general public isn't probably not, not that aware of, of this program. And no. Why is that? I mean, it's just something to Well, like the program ended, the Trump administration ended it in 2016. It got completely killed. That's right, yeah. They, killed. They, it start, actually got killed originally under the, the last few months of the Obama administration. They said the Mavenies were a potential security threat because they were foreigners, and they started doing background checks on them to figure out that they had foreign parents. I think you've heard me joke about this, but the Pentagon spent millions of dollars yeah. over a period of five or six years to figure out that foreigners had foreign parents. You know, it was crazy. It's like doing five-year background checks on women and figuring out that they have ovaries, you know? Yeah, I mean, so it's they like knew classic these gov- were... Classic government. It was uh, classic government waste, fraud, and abuse. But they, they shut the program down because they said these foreigners all have foreign parents. You know, that could be a security threat. And some of the background checks were frankly hilarious you know we i got one on a south korean guy and it said you have relatives who served in the south korean military therefore you're not suitable to serve in the u.s military are they our ally there are allies yeah there are allies we have a program the par- the parallel, called uh, katusa korean augmentees to the u.s army we actually have koreans serving with the u.s army but we were kicking people out of the u.s army for having relatives who were in the korean I, mean, I could see if they were if they were in the north korean army no, but they were south, south korean. korean i mean the whole there's the whole no, they were over there. kicking the South Koreans out for having male relatives who served in the South Korean Army. And they all have male relatives who served in the South Korean Army because they have mandatory military service there. You told the story once of the Chinese woman who was in the military here, and there was a, a visitor, somebody visiting, and they ended up using her to be the translator, and she was, like, driving a... Because a lot of that these... That was Mavis, in Alaska. That was a general in Alaska that called, pulled her out of the ranks and had her translate and gave and, her a medal for doing it. And a lot of these Mavnies stories you've told me were very, I mean, highly educated people that spoke, you know, one or two or three languages additional languages but then they were doing like they were like driving a truck or they were doing like some strange well that's one of the reasons why they shut the program down they said the army was misutilizing them by taking people with phds and making them truck drivers but the people at the pentagon didn't understand they had to do that because unless you're a u.s citizen you can't be an officer you can't be a military linguist you can't be an olympic runner unless you're a u.s citizen you can't be on the u.s Olympic. but they team. became citizans when they joined when right. they joined mavni right well not exactly so what happened was the military had to recruit them in a job that was open to a non-citizen uh. and then turn them into citizens which took a while and then they could reclassify them into a job that required u.s citizenship but they couldn't instantly make them american citizens they had to Enlist so, in some so other with, job first. With this huge problem with recruiting, why don't they bring the Mavni back? I mean, you said there was a because they shut it down. You know, they could rest, could they restart it? They'd have to get a law, a new law passed by Congress because the Trump administration convinced Congress, ironically, in the McCain National Defense Authorization Act, to kill the program statutorily. And he he had you kind of start the program. 
Yeah, but he was deceased by then. So they named the bill after him that killed the program. Did you try and fight it? People trying to fight it in the military or Pentagon? No, because people really didn't know what they were doing up at the Pentagon. You know, so what Congress is going to have to do to bring it back is change the law back, you know, get rid of the McCain amendment hmm. that killed the program. How many avenues were there total? Do you have any? Over 10,000, and they got um, hundreds of doctors, U.S. licensed healthcare professionals were piling into the Army. Um, one year... In the program, we got 42% of the dentists in the Army came in through the Mavni program because there just aren't native-born American dentists signing up for the Army, you know. And, mm. and it's really important for the troops' health. They can't deploy if they have bad teeth. So dental health is really, really important to the military, and they really need dentists in the Army. You know, well, spe really speaking of dentists, I was going to ask you about yeah. um, Re Rebecca Trimble uh, out of Bethel, right. whose husband is an Army dentist who's working out there in the clinic because he took a – they paid for a lot of his school, and then he right. had to do some kind of couple years in like a disadvantaged area or certain certain economic area. Um, and this is the story I wrote about in March, twenty twenty. You did, I guess. Thank that, you that for blew, doing that. It blew up. I mean, the New York Times picked it up. Yep. No shout out for me though. I, well, I, I think they that. know that you broke the story, Jeff. It's just I they, don't they, think they, they even know. they even the author of the New York Times um, story. Lincoln, her name, um, Miriam Jordan. Mir Miriam Jordan, right, was on my story, on the right. article itself, like commenting and asking to talk to these people, and then they wrote the story a few months later. Big New York Times. It was a great story. Um, and anyways, for the folks not listening, she was married. This guy John Trimble. They were high school sweethearts. Uh, long story short, they got married. He was he's in the military, dentist, and then she was adopted as a baby. Had no idea. I mean, she was a baby. And then she went to get her driver's license, the real ID, and they were like, oh, well, you're not actually a citizen. Your adoption, there's a, there's a problem. Yeah, they said the paperwork was messed up for the adoption, which happened when she was an infant, a newborn infant. And she was brought here at a very young age, baby, right. you know, she was... She was a few days old. Born here, like yeah. raised here, um, not born, but raised right. here, uh, went to school here. And then they basically, this is a story, they ordered her deported with two kids and a husband and living in Bethel. Well, sort of. Okay, they actually denied her green card and told her to leave the country. But the problem is that she has no birth certificate in any foreign country. So she couldn't leave the country because she's got no country except America. Um, so they told her to leave the country and they threatened to deport her. But frankly, I don't know how the government's going to deport her because she doesn't have a birth certificate proving she was born in any country. And, and so. you know, her, her husband, John, and her tried after they were married, I mean, for, for years, they years, went to these different right. lawyers as free back when they didn't have as much money. They went to this free legal services and, and I think it was in Washington state. And then they went to another lawyer, which wasn't, maybe didn't understand it as well. They eventually found you, right? but, and they had a little money at that point, but you specialize in military law and immigration law and you, and you were able to kind of start helping them, but it's still unresolved. I mean, there's a private bill even in the, in the Senate and the, in the house with, I mean, it was Lisa Murkowski and Dan Sullivan, I guess. And then Don Young, introduced this private bill last Congress. It didn't get approved. And for the folks listening, a private bill is a pretty unique, un rare thing these days. It's very unique, yeah. And Don Young has reintroduced it, and it's still pending. Um, they're basically in a situation right now where we've submitted all the documents for the private bill, but they're asking DHS to comment on Rebecca Trimble and whether she's a threat to America, you know, that sort of thing. And DHS hasn't come back yet and commented on this. It's almost like we're living in some kind of Kafka-esque world where it's like these out of control bureaucracies and no one seems to really, it's like, it's so logical and common sense. It's so just common sense, but that doesn't well, seem to matter. They're, they claim the agency says they're just following the law. 
And the law says if you ever tell anybody that you're a U.S. citizen and you're not, you're permanently barred from getting a green card and you're subject to deportation. She thought she was a U.S. citizen because she thought she'd been adopted by these Americans. And her whole life she thought she was an American until she went to try to get a real ID. And then all of a sudden they said, wait a minute, you weren't born in America. I think she the, the biggest irony in the story was she had voted when she was 18 because I think right. her high school teacher had encouraged everybody to vote. It was 2008, I think. And then um, the, the biggest irony was she got like the – the, like the citizen award. She did. She got citizen award in school. In but then school. it turned out she wasn't really a citizen, even though her name is Rebecca Trimble. She has no other name. She thought she'd been legally adopted by her American parents. She has no other parents that anybody knows about. Um, she's been in the U.S. since she was about three or four days old, as far as we can tell. She has no birth certificate in any foreign country. So you, you told me that back so. in the day, Ted Stevens, um, these private bills were a little more common. And essentially, a private bill is a bill that's specific to a person or a company. Right. And in this case, it would bestow citizenship on somebody or a green card. Um, but you said after, I think it was after Abscam, right? The FBI thing. Didn't they get in trouble for giving like... Yeah, giving so there were some people in Congress that decided that it wasn't a good idea to do private bills anymore because some of them had, the power had been basically abused, they felt. But Don Young, to his credit, just said, hey, this is crazy situation. I'm going to get her a private bill. And he's been knocking himself out to help her. And I got to give a shout out to Congressman Young because he's been really good on this issue. He met with her, talked to her, talked mm-hmm. to her family, you know, did the whole screening and said, I just think this is ridiculous. She has no other country other than the United States, you know, and she's married to a military guy. And why can't they just give her a green card? You know, well, they're saying, well, we can't because she voted, you know. So what has to happen? I mean, the House has to vote, the Senate votes, and then the it's House has simple, to right? vote and the Senate has to vote. And then the president has to sign the bill into law. I'm pretty sure President Biden will sign it if it ever gets to his desk, but it hasn't gotten to his desk yet. Um, you were talking about the military before, and I was talking to a friend a couple of days ago about kind of where we are now in our society. And it almost seems like we were discussing if a World War II type situation happened. And back then, everybody sacrificed. They worked. They joined. They fought. And we were kind of joking. It's like, well, it's the weekend. I don't want to fight. Or, I mean, oh, yeah, it's like, I don't really want to do that. Or, you know, it seems like we've really lost a lot of that. Patriot patriotism. Well, I'd hope not. I mean, I think I, I, I'm in the military. Everyone's on still. Twitter. You know, I mean, yeah, I know. They... But I know a lot of people in the military, and there's a lot of still a lot of patriotic people joining. It's just that the demographics are not favorable anymore. What, what, what would happen if there was another big, huge world war? I mean, or, I mean well, the, Chinese, the U.S. I would have a problem. They're building I mean, 10 more aircraft, 10 aircraft carriers. I guess we could try to recruit the Grace Hoppers of the world. Did you ever hear about Admiral Grace Hopper? I've heard the name. I don't so she was in her 80s, and she was still working at the Pentagon. Wow. She was a computer expert. When she was like 60-something, they called her back up on active duty, but because she was a senior citizen, they had to make her an admiral because under federal law, you can't have somebody serving who's that old unless you make them a general officer or well, an admiral. What was she before she was yeah, like enlisted well, she'd or been she an officer? In World War II, she'd been a Navy officer. But, you know, then she left and she was like a computer expert and they wanted to call her back up to work at the Pentagon. So you, you can go look this up. She was famous. So Grace Hopper. Okay. Admiral Grace Hopper. Name, yeah. Right. So if we have a really big war, they're going to be calling the senior citizens up and making them all admirals and generals. So are you still, yeah. you're still a reserve or? I am. I'm a, in the retired reserve, lieutenant colonel in the retired reserve. And I think I asked you one time why you didn't get colonel and you said because you didn't want to go and do like PowerPoint presentations in Kabul or something. No, it, it's kind of a long story, but I was working on the Mavni program and that wasn't considered something that I, I'm in the military police. So if you want to get promoted in the military police, you had to go 
you know, do other things like PowerPoint slideshows in Kabul or whatever. <laughs> um, and I was working on the Mavni program, so they didn't want to send me there. They kept, and I actually requested to go to Iraq and I requested to go to Afghanistan and I got turned down because they told me I was too valuable at the Pentagon. Would you have got a colonel? If I'd gone, yeah, I would have, but then the, there wouldn't be a Mavni program. They can't, they can't do like an exception. Hey, you did the math thing. Let's make you a colonel. No, the, it's, a bureaucracy it's again. pretty bureaucratic how these promotion boards, they basically want you to check the box, you know, that you've been to Iraq or Afghanistan if you want to get promoted in the military police. So on a, on a, on a broader level of immigration, it's like this always comes up and it never seems to get fixed. Uh, we still have a huge immigration. I was talking to you about the, the 1 billion Americans book by Matthew Iglesias and right. his, you know, he, we did a, a book club and he actually, I, I reached out to him on, I emailed him and, thinking no way he's going to respond. And he came into our book club meeting a few months ago, three months ago, I guess, and talked to us for an hour. But his thing is, you know, basically more money and programs to encourage people to have kids, which is a problem. It's expensive to raise kids. And then also bring in, bring in the immigrants we want and the immigrants we need. And, you know, it's like we have a problem, it seems like, every time immigration comes up, there's a group of people that just say no more immigrants. But we, like you said, we, we actually need immigrants and benefit from immigrants. Oh, we do. In fact, one of the reasons why we have a big labor shortage right now is because we don't have enough legal immigration to the United States. And we're not legalizing people that are already here. So we're, we're just creating a big mess for ourselves that would be alleviated if we would allow legal immigration. But we don't, we've been stopping it the last couple of years. So if you had the magic wand, I mean, if you could target, invent the military, best military, or best immigration policy, what would you... How well, would look, I'd, what would it look like? I'd bring back the Mavni program, you know, because we got a lot of really smart people in the military that were highly skilled, you know, with PhDs and master's degrees. And ordinarily, Americans with master's and PhDs don't join the military. Mm -hmm. But these folks were piling in because they could get the American dream if they joined the military. Uh, so I'd bring back that. I'd legalize young people who are here, the dreamers, the people that are were brought to the U.S., people like Rebecca Trimble, you know, people who came to the U.S. when they were small. I'd... You know, make them work. Give them a work permit and a Social Security card and tell them to go to work. And then we wouldn't have a labor shortage. Mm -hmm. What about uh, people who just from abroad who just want to come here? Well, I'd pick and choose who I want to bring. Obviously, I want to bring people who are highly skilled, who are motivated to come, who aren't going to break our laws. I don't want to bring criminal, criminals and terrorists into the country, you know, but I think I would bring people that are willing to work hard and, you know, learn English and integrate in our society and are going to make, create jobs and fill jobs that we need. And we're going to need a lot of people to push those wheelchairs for our rapidly aging population. So I'd bring folks in like that, that could do that. Younger workers. That's the scariest part about, you know, in 20, I'm 36 now and when I'm 56 or 66, I don't even, can't even imagine how things are going to look. Uh, it's going to be a big problem. I mean, we're, we are having a demographic problem that it should be obvious to people it's starting, you know. And people in Congress, I mean, people know about this. This isn't some secret. I mean, it's, if you're aware of the situation, it's, 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 it's very easy to understand. It's not like a complicated thing. It's not complicated. And, you know, it's not some progressive thing either. I mean, Heritage Foundation did a report about the military recruiting problem. You know, the Heritage is a conservative institution and they were, pointing it out and saying, hey, somebody w needs to wake up and realize what's happening in America. But, you know, only two out of 10 people of military age can qualify for the military. You well, can't have a draft because 80% of the people would be DQ'd right well, off what, the what, bat. what was that number? What would you say the number would be in the 1960s, 70s? It was a lot higher, you know, because people were physically fit, you know, it, w it was, and there were a lot more young people. I mean, if you look at the bulges, I've got diagrams I can send to you if you're curious. But basically, yeah. we have huge numbers of people now that are over 60 and we didn't have that 
in the 1960s, you know. And some of it's good. I mean, people are living longer and that sort of thing. But, you know, the military generally doesn't recruit people like Admiral Grace Hopper who are over 60. You know, that's pretty rare. They want those young, those young folks. Yeah, they want younger people. So they're looking for 18 to 26 ideally, you know, but now they're having to go up higher. The Air Force went up, is going up to, I believe, 39 now. Um, other thing I wanted to ask you about was we've seen in the news a lot lately is this, the cyber attacks, you know, and right. Russia and you know, China might be involved and these, and you know, our military, um, and our, just our government in general needs to have, be able to fight this stuff. That's and we're true. seeing these, 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 uh, cryptocurrency demands, these r- ransomware attacks and, you know, whether it was the pipeline or not, there's another one where they just hit all these companies. What, 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 you know, where do you see the military and, the, you know, cyber warfare in the next 20 years. Well, this is another reason why we need immigration. So we've got all these people from other countries who are really smart and they come to America and they study science, technology, engineering, and math. And then after they finish and they get their degree, we tell them to go home. We shouldn't be doing that. We should tell them to stay here and work for us because a lot of them would, would love to do that. And they could be our future cybersecurity experts who could fight back. And it's very important because a lot of them maybe speak Chinese or Russian and they like our country better than they like Putin or a President Xi. They'd rather work for us. Um, one of the things that bothers me is it seems like a lot of policymakers don't believe in the American dream anymore. You know, they don't believe that we have the philosophy that appeals to people around the world. And I think that's wrong. I think a lot of Chinese would rather, much rather live in America. They believe in equality. They love that American dream. They think that's ideal. And they don't, they know that their leader is a dictator and they don't want to live in China. And they'd rather work for us if we provide freedom and an opportunity for them to, you know, live the American dream. They're going to come on our side, just like the Irish did, you know, years and hundred years ago or more. If if Mavni magically was just reopened right now, how how many people do you think would? Well, they always had a quota on it. They were limiting it, but they would have no quota. Just if there's no quota, they'd have a hundred thousand people signing up tomorrow. Wow, it's that many. Yeah. Oh, more than that. Yeah. Except the military doesn't need all these people. So they could pick and choose the ones they so, wanted. So they picked based on, a lot of it was language, right? Well, they had two requirements. They basically either you had to have a strategic language and you had to be fluent in it, or you had to be a U.S. licensed healthcare professional. It was either one or the other originally. But the law said they could recruit anybody, so they could decide they want cyber experts, you know, and they could just pick and choose the cyber people that they wanted. So as a military right now, is just, I don't know the numbers, but as far as all the branches and all the people... I mean, do we have enough people? Do we do we need a lot more people? I mean, obviously we're not at a big war, but if I mean, we're probably not where we need to be if there was a big war, right? We're definitely not where where we want to be if there's a big war. But the the issue right now is quality. You know, they can bring the people in, but what they they've been doing lately is relaxing some of the standards. So taking more people that are, you know, don't meet recruiting standards as they would ideally want them to be. Um, lower the bar a little bit well okay so the classic example is the charlottesville killer he was Uh, schizophrenic you know and he apparently went in to see a military recruiter and he never should have been allowed into the army at all but somebody told him to get off his meds for a year and then he could join the army so he then got off his meds apparently and came back and joined the army as schizophrenic person who was not on his meds and then he washed out of training after about five months and then he went down and killed somebody in Charlottesville. So he should never have been allowed into the military, and you want to screen people like that out. You don't want to be training them to carry a gun and, you know, that sort of thing. So um, unfortunately, when uh, recruiters are under pressure to recruit a certain number of people, you know, they're going to maybe let people in that in other environments they might not 
allow them in. Um, but, you know, ideally we want the best qualified people. We don't want people that have mental health issues or extremist views or anything like that, you know, coming in. Yeah, it's, uh, I keep, I always wonder about kind of got the future of the military and what these problems and how it's going to, I think it's not the matter of if, but when some other big, you know, global conflict, we've, we've seen that they, they happen. Well, and the problem's going to be, you know, everybody says, oh, we can have a draft. Well, not if 80% of the people are just going to be DQ'd from a draft because they're out of shape or smoking marijuana or, you know, otherwise not able to meet military enlistment standards. And, you know, the other thing I don't think people realize is the military today needs really smart people. You know, it's a high-tech military. So it's not like the Civil War where you could just kind of, you know, train somebody for month and hand him a gun here, take and this go musket. here, you know, line up and shoot the other guy. You know, that's not how it works. And the military is very, very high tech. So they need smart people. Um, something, something else I wanted to ask you about, uh, this has kind of been in the news, but um, these translators and interpreters right. in Iraq and Afghanistan. Now we've, did you see that article? Did we just, did we just leave the base in Bagram? Uh, yeah. It looks like we just, well, like, according the to the airfield. article, they just left and they said, all right, yeah. no, didn't tell anybody. And then there was prisoners it sounds like there was, they, we just, so like, we just the, took off. The Senate hearing that we had, we talked about the interpreters. And the startling thing is that the U.S. government has a plan to bring bring our troops home, but they didn't really plan for what to do with all the people that supported us who are now a- a- absolutely terrified. I mean, at, I'm, at I'm great getting, risk to themselves, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm getting calls and emails every day from interpreters and their family members. And it's not just interpreters and their family members, but it's, like the relatives of U.S. citizens that are over there that have been supporting the U.S. government, and they're absolutely terrified. In fact, one uh, retired officer said to me that September 11th, 2021 is going to be exactly like September 11th, 2001 in Afghanistan. It's going to be same situation. That's what he, because the U.S. is pulling out. He said Taliban taking back over. Taliban's going to be all in charge again. They're not nice people, and they're going to be murdering everybody and telling women and girls they can't go to school and... You know, and basically civil war is going to break out again is what he's what he told me. Um, so what's happening now is that all the people who supported the United States in any way, shape or form or related to Americans are all going to be they're terrified right now. And they're all trying to get out as fast as they can. Um, you know, and the U.S. government has some kind of moral obligation to a lot of them because we promised them that we would give them visas and let them resettle in the U.S. if they supported us and helped us. And they did that. And now we're not letting them come here. Um, in part because the State Department is incompetent and hasn't been able to process their visas timely. You know, Congress passed a program to give them visas, but the State Department hasn't been able to manage it correctly. I mean, Vice News a couple of years ago did a special on this one interp translator out of in Iraq who was, you know, you look at the pictures, he looked looked like he was part of the, un- the unit of, of these guys. Right. And they were interviewing his, his former um, kind of, sol- you know, soldiers that he with and they're all trying to get him back here i mean these are american guys who were like this is crazy he's he's in danger he, he's he's he did so much for us he saved people's lives in combat uh and it was just crazy how pissed off they were this well, guy was stuck in iraq yeah the bureaucracy is really crazy i mean i i just talked to a guy recently who got denied a visa in kabul okay now brace yourself this is why he got denied he was working for a company that had the letters U.S. in its name. So the start of the company's name was U.S. something or other, okay? And when they were operating in Afghanistan, they didn't want to operate under that legal name of the company because they would just get bombed by everybody. 
So they had a doing business as name. You're probably familiar with that. DBA, you know, yeah, sure. DBA, right. So they had an American legal name that started with the letters U.S., which meant United States. And then they had a local name that was in the local language that didn't have anything, to, didn't say anything about the United States. And the State Department knew that this company had a DBA name because they actually gave them like a bunch of awards and everything for all the great work they were doing for the United States in Afghanistan. Well, they denied this guy a visa because they said he was inconsistent in claiming that he was working for two different companies. Well, he was actually working for the same company. It just had two different names. You know, it had a legal name and a DBA name. And the State Department knew that, but they just denied him a visa, you know. So they're coming up with stuff like that. Just like some bureaucrat? And, and well, uh, from what I can or? tell, the consular officers who are making the decisions are incompetent or they're not reading the documents in the case or they're just trying to come up with an excuse to deny a visa. So they just look for anything they can, you know, because they're afraid to let them come here because maybe, I don't know, you know, whatever, somebody will second-guess their decision. So they just keep claiming to Congress, well, this person didn't qualify and that person didn't qualify. And there is some fraud connected with the program, but, you know, that's not fraud when you don't understand that the company had a legal name and a DBA name. You know, even though you gave them an award under their DBA name, mm-hmm. you know, the State Department publicly gave them an award years ago. And now they're claiming that the guy worked for two different companies. And so, I mean, with the public pressure that people are aware of this, is there, are these people going to be able to get get visas eventually or are they is it going to just continue to be this problem well it's taken years for people to get visas and there's the appeals process is terrible so didn't i've they, seen didn't they wanted somebody somebody get somebody had their family kidnapped for a bunch of, oh, they yeah, a bunch of money because they were a translator well and they're you know there's a taliban plays this revenge game where they tell the u.s that somebody's dangerous they know that they're applying for a visa, so they feed bad intelligence to the United States government, hoping the guy will get denied a visa so they can keep him in Afghanistan and kill him. And that's what's going on right now. So what do you, I mean, I, I know a lot of people have wanted to get out of Afghanistan. Right. like, the, you know, the Soviets were there and Alexander, the, I mean, they were all, everybody was there. And it's been this kind of pit of like hell for militaries. But um, what, what do you think? I mean, just by, by leaving, that, that creates another problem. I mean, I think probably we should, get out of there myself, but you have this Taliban problem that we've created. Well, uh, okay. we've, we've, we've solved and now we leave and it's right. going to come back. And well, I think a lot of people think we shouldn't really be pulling out completely, you know, that we sh- we have something invested there. And I mean, the progress that we made is going to be gone in a couple months, you know, basically reversed. And there's other countries that we stayed long term and it turned into a success story. And South maybe, Korea. yeah, South Korea, you know, I mean, we're still in Germany, Germany yeah. you know, okay. But people don't want to, I think everybody thinks the American public's tired of Afghanistan. They don't want anything to do with it. But if we're going to pull out, we at least have some moral obligation to bring out the people that supported us, just like we did at the end of the Vietnam War. Yeah, they, they, yep, they, they, they yeah. famous pictures of uh, people getting on the helicopters. Well, we, you know, we did Videos. make some effort. I mean, there was disasters at the end of Vietnam, but, you know, you think you'd learn your lesson. I mean, we did have a refugee program where we well, brought the, the Vietnamese Well, the Hmong, right? The Hmong. Well, a whole bunch of people that supported us. We eventually brought them to the United States. And the number of people in Afghanistan that we need to pull out is actually not that high compared to our population. You know, it's less than 100,000 people. And we could absorb them pretty easily. So it's well, not... A lot of them speak English because they were doing... Oh, yeah. tra- I mean, they, they were speak working English. with... Yep. You know, trans- translators. They're working with the, the yeah. Americans doing... I mean, we brought a, bo- a lot more Vietnamese out of Vietnam after the end of Vietnam War than we need to bring out of Afghanistan. So... If we had a national plan and leadership, we could do it pretty easily and quickly. I'm sure the Pentagon could execute. You know, we've evacuated people before from countries and large How many numbers. are in Iraq? How many what? Are people we need to bring over here. 
well, translators. It's, it's not as high in Iraq right now because you know we're not. We've been pulling out of Iraq for a long time. We still got some translators there that we need to bring out, but they're not. You know, it's not as bad a situation at the moment for all them. Although they still, you know, there's still problems with individual people. But we just think think of like things that could, could foment kind of hatred. It's like if, if you're somebody who helped our country for. A decade, and then you were like abandoned. I mean, think of how mad. I mean, if well, I did that, how mad I would be. It's know? a propaganda coup for the Taliban. You know, they're going to yeah. publicly execute people, and they're going to say, "Look, America abandoned you. You should never work for those Americans again." So we're just going to lose all our eyes on the ground, and you know, it's pretty bad for us. Yeah, politically. So, so the the worst case scenario is the Taliban takes over, and it be, again becomes a haven for terrorists and people who hate America. That could be that could be the ultimate. Uh, conclusion it could potentially. be yeah so we'll see and it's so funny too because the taliban used to be our you know there's videos of them well yeah into, you into know that you know that old story yeah the, the, all the history there i think you watched charlie wilson's war right long time sure ago. yeah and i, I got the yeah, book i and, read the book and, you know yeah. you, you also have i mean it was the mujahideen and even saddam hussein you know we have rumsfeld walking out they were dancing you know you've seen this video you know, these videos and you know it's like your enemy's enemy it's your friend until they're your enemy again well, you should take care of your friends, though. And if you, you make promises yeah. to people, you shouldn't break your promises, you know, especially after they put their lives on the line for you. That makes a lot of people, gives them, a lot of people a sick feeling in their stomach that America might be doing that. Well, I think and if you read Charlie Wilson's book and, you know, what he said, I mean, he was, when we let, when we were done with fighting the Russians, I mean, he wanted to stay and invest in education and schooling and, and everybody kind of said, you're crazy, we're not doing that. And if we would have done that in the 80s or, not, you know, early, late 80s, early 90s, maybe things would have not been screwed up as they, as they were after, you know, um, Bin Laden showed up. Yep. Well, well, I guess we're going to find out. Well, Margaret, it's been great. Of course, great you'll be a senior citizen by then, Jeff, so. I'm 36, so, I mean, I got a little. Got a ways to go, I guess. Be 37 yeah. in December. Oh. oh, boy. Well, it's been great talking to you. I always like doing the, the podcast with you. have so much information and okay somebody, i hope people will go watch the senate hearing the video it's kind of fun I'll check it the, out i'll put the video in the uh podcast link and I, I i put it in my column a few weeks ago and i had a few people say they watched it so yeah i think people will find it entertaining i mean you got to maybe fast forward to the good parts but you know some of it i think it starts about 20 minutes in. that's when you start talking well it was tammy duckworth mm -hmm. testified first so she's there's a video of senator tammy duckworth and then the second panel was myself and former ambassador ryan crocker and then there was a deported military vet and just last friday the biden administration announced in response to the hearing that they were going to halt the deportation of certain military vets and they're going to have a new policy to help military vets prevent them from being yeah, deported on their topic. All these guys yep. who were in Mexico yep. that fought, you know, in, in the war for, for our country and they, they get deported. Well, I'm just happy the Senate hearing had a good result, which is to get the, O uh, Trump, the Biden administration to announce a new policy. So that was well, good. I'm, I'm glad they listened to my testimony and came up with a new policy. No, no, it was, it was, it was, it was really good. Well, I'm glad you came in and if folks have any immigration issues, who, who do they, Cascadia Cross Border Law yes, Group. Yes, right? so this is Margaret Stock. I'm with Cascadia Cross Border Law Group in Anchorage, Alaska. We do all kinds of immigration, citizenship kinds of cases, and uh, we're very happy to help Alaskans who have immigration questions. And if you have a friend who has an immigration problem, don't have any money, and you call Margaret every six months for two, you know, two years, eventually she might <laughs> remember that. that was yeah, well, I'm actually that. primarily doing pro bono work for military people right now, so I do a lot of. Um, cases with the American Immigration Lawyers Association Military Assistance Program, which is a pro bono effort by immigration lawyers to help military personnel. That's great because those, those folks oftentimes yep. don't have the resources to 
Right. No, I, I had a little rec- recently a lawsuit with the governor. My friends represented me on about press access, and you know it was different, total to different thing. But it's like crazy how it was pro bono, but we ended up settling. Right. But two months of work is like sixty thousand dollars. I mean, it's crazy no, how much it's, this stuff costs. It's really expensive to sue the government. You know, we've handled a couple of large pro bono cases against the government and run up, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal bills pro bono. But we've won, so I I filed the lawsuit against Department of Defense, not me personally, but. I was involved in the lawsuit. Um, Do you get the fees? No, because we did it pro bono, and we decided not to go after the government for attorney's fees in the case. So we waived our attorney's fees, didn't get paid, but we beat the government at trial. Nice. Um, they made us go to trial in the in the lawsuit, and we won at trial. It's not everybody that can can do that. That was kind of fun. Sometimes that's even worth you know more more than money. Yeah, well, the big win. I mean, we were clearly in the right, and DOD was in the wrong, and it's just sad that they couldn't recognize it earlier, you know, that they decided they had to take the case to trial and lose a trial, you know. <laughs> kind of a My Cousin Vinny sort of story. So. <laughs> who, who was Joe Pesci? <laughs> uh, well, actually, my husband was a trial attorney, and he had to put me on the witness stand, so we did have a Marissa Tomei, oh my gosh. Joe Pesci moment, yep. Is there probably no video of that, right? Maybe there's no audio, video, but audio? there's a transcript. Um, and his joke is the mistake the government attorney made was they cross-examined my wife, <laughs> which they didn't make that mistake in my cousin Vinny. That's right. Yep. Well, Margaret, thanks thanks for coming in. It's always great talking to you, and um, it's, uh, we'll okay. do it again sometime. Thanks so, so much. Yeah, appreciate it. been fun it. being here. Take care. Uh, folks, if you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, get a hold of me and stay tuned for the next one. Landline.